Bienvenidos a Radio Menea, y'all. My name is Vero Ayati Flores. And I'm Miriam Soila Perez, and we are two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes. Each week we bring you music from the Latina artists that we love, and this week we are talking about mujeres in electronic music. This theme was your idea and your research. Uh, why don't you tell us about this first song? Yeah, so we are starting out with a song, a track that came out really recently. This is Ale Hop and Laura Robles. It's called Son de los Diablos. Let's take a listen. Hop and Laura Robles are two Berlin-based Peruvian producers and artists, um, and they're putting out an album called Agua Dulce in July. This is the first single off of it, um, and I love this little detail. This album, it's called Agua Dulce after a beach that both of these artists live nearby, apparently just like a few houses away, but they never met each other when <laughs> they were there. Um, but they are collaborating together now in Berlin. And um, what a lot of this is doing is exploring Afro-Peruvian rhythmic structures and dance mm. traditions of Peru's Pacific coast. Um, and I, I just, I really love this. I wanted to do an episode of women engaging with electronic music uh, because a lot of the times we think of electronic music as this like very sort of like white man thing and mm. we tend to forget that both that like a lot of women of color have really propelled electronic music and that like i would suggest that electronic music is has been really largely um brought to the fore by a lot of women including women like Clara Rockmore, who was a theremin uh, virtuoso, and women like Wendy Carlos, who like basically like invented the Moog synthesizer, um, a trans woman who is mm. still alive and well. And um, yeah, so I, I wanted to talk about that. And I think that there's a lot of really dope um, music in coming out of Latin America and the Latin American diaspora from women um that's electronic music in this case exploring these like afro-peruvian rhythmic traditions from the from peru's pacific coast son de los diablos is like a specific dance and they have they explore like all these like very specific dances and rhythms from peru's uh pacific coast and built this like electric cajon which is mm. a percussion instrument that's typical in afro-latin genres very typical in cuban genres mm -hmm. um 
And, um, you know, like they're, what I really love about this is that they're generally trying to engage with like these folk Peruvian, Peruvian rhythms that like, um, are usually engaged with in like a folk music and world music tradition that is framed as like something of the past or that's unchanging as the rhythms that like remain alive and that like continue to be engaged in different ways. So it's not like also simply like, okay, let's bring this into the future, but it's just like, no, this is alive. Let's continue to engage with this musical tradition. Um, yeah, which really I really cool. think is cool. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, to think about the directory of like the cajon started because people didn't have drums because they were, yes. you know, kidnapped in Africa and brought to the United States as enslaved people. So they didn't have anything with them. And so then it's like, what can we make into a percussion instrument? Is it a box? It is, is it a dry gourd? Whatever it is. Right. And then mm-hmm. to then see it. Yeah. in this sort of like really Afrofuturistic way, right. Of like turning it into this like electronic thing. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. If, yeah. It reminds me of the Susanna Vaca episode that we did just a few weeks ago because she's also right Afro-Peruvian um, and really instrumental in bringing these these sounds and these traditions to this the world stage. So if you haven't listened to that, y'all should take a listen. And I wonder if these be cool if these mujeres ever like collaborated with Susanna Vaca. Oh my God, can you imagine? I would love that. <laughs> it would be a really cool like generational, yeah, like sort of mind meld. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It would be so dope. And definitely, y'all, if you didn't listen to our Susana Waka episode, it's going to be very different from this one. <laughs> but, yes, yes. <laughs> but definitely take a listen. Yeah, I had a thought about that connection. I mean, just making that connection because these folks are are doing Afro-preview music. But yeah, I mean, it's no surprise to people who listen to the show that like I'm not the person leading on the like electronic music episode. Um, but <laughs> we were talking before about like it's the definitions and like labels are kind of difficult right because electronic music is not a genre it's really like you were sort of explaining that it really refers to kind of something technical and then also something about like emphasis and like what is the most important aspect of the piece of music yeah yeah when before this episode we were like okay so like what is electronic music because like so much music is recorded digitally these days right Mm -hmm. like uh, they're most like things that you're gonna see let's say in like the top 40 there wasn't like a band that came in to like record like you know like phil specter style where there's like okay like we're gonna bring like five guitarists and like a drummer and whatever it's just like a lot of it is done um through electronic production um but that's not necessarily referred to as electronic music and i think that where how i think about it is like what the emphasis is right and also maybe some of it is like the marketing right Mm -hmm. like right um just like who's marketed as the artist right because like uh carol g track like you know it might be fully electronic but like the producer like let's say like tiny is producing a carol g track like for the most part people aren't advertising tiny's presence and maybe that's a bad example because tiny is like one of these few producers that people like know right um you know like it's more rare to think to like think of like a producer that people like know off top like say like like your pharrell's like for every pharrell there's like hundreds and hundreds of people who like people don't necessarily know Right. Um, and and no one's but, gonna consider tiny electronic music artist, even though Dembo right. is made electronically, right? Like those beats are synthetically produced. They're not drums making them. Right. Sounds. They're digitally produced and they're not mm-hmm. like somebody there's not like a percussionist coming in, but like tiny could 
produce electronic music, but like for the most part is making beats that don't tend to, um, that aren't intended to, to be standalone works that are intended right. for another artist to like sing or rap or do something else with. Right. Whereas like, you know, like in electronic music, uh, what we were talking about before we got on is I think of it as like a matter of perspective, like what it, what comes first, like, and mm-hmm. like the sound is what comes first. And there might be vocal, like either, you know, there are songs and tracks that I brought here that do have, um vocals on them but um it's generally not the main thing that you're approaching right like if you kind of can't sing like it's cool because that's not the main thing that people came for right like you're not gonna see like you know really well-developed baptist church singers on these tracks because that's not the main event the main event is the actual production of sounds right and so an electronic music artist might not sing or play instruments, but can have can be a musician, a musical. I don't know what you call it, an artist, I guess, because they're creating, they're using, you know, digital means to create sounds and tracks. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. I mean, I imagine that there's still a good amount of like musical understanding and like musical theory, even maybe. I don't know if you that you would need those things for these kinds of productions, or if it's like really just you know it's like modern dance like do you need to know ballet to do modern dance i don't know some people would say yes some people would say no you know yeah i think it depends on the person there's definitely some people who like might be classically trained in music and like have like a lot of music theory under their belt and then some people who are doing electronic music based on like feel and instinct and like they like press like a little pad on their little um synth or whatever and Mm -hmm. they like the way that sounds and they have like an instinctive feel for it that Mm -hmm. might connect with somebody else right so right um yeah i feel like there's any number of people who might be like successful or connecting with a lot of people who just have like an instinct for it and aren't necessarily like classically trained in a western tradition or any other one specifically right right that's so interesting well, before we get to your next track, we wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the fact that it's our birthday, y'all. <laughs> oh my God, can you believe it? Seven years. We've been doing this for seven years. Yeah, y'all, look at our body of work. We've got a lot of shit. If you've been listening to us for a couple of years, like sometimes we get folks being like, you should do an episode on this. It's like, oh, we already did it. It was just five years ago, you know? (laughs) (laughs) We have a deep catalog now. Um, Yeah, so we like to we like to kind of do a do it a little bit like NPR fundraiser style and really do a bigger push for um, just getting support in honor of our anniversary in March. So we like to remind y'all that we have a member program. You know, we talk about it, but we don't go heavy on the advertising of it. Um, but it's really what makes this show possible. Um, it helps us to basically pay Maite to edit and then cover the rest of the costs of the show. We don't generally pay ourselves much from it, but it keeps the costs, keeps the show from costing us money and makes it um, feasible for us to keep going. So all the people who've been members for years and new members, y'all are amazing. We really appreciate you. And we wanted to do a little um, incentive we usually do one this year to encourage you to sign up if you've been thinking about it, but I've been on the fence. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, it really makes a huge difference for us and makes it sustainable. So 
Uh, shout out anyone who has been a member and, you know, thank you all for listening. Whether you can be a member or not, we love you, but it does help us a ton. So this year, the incentive we're offering is that if you become a member in the month of March, um, a new member, or even if you're, you were a member and you had to cancel, but you're going to, you're going to start again, we'll include you. Um, as I know, sometimes financially things are just not feasible. We will send you a free, um, Perreo keychain. It's the newest merch item that we made maybe two years ago. It's really beautiful. It's got this great, like gold and white design. It feels very Miami. Um, and it just looks really good on your keys or anywhere else you want to put it. So, um, yeah, that's a little thank you for, for becoming a new member this month. Yeah, 100% approved by me. I have my keys on it right now, and it works great. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so there's a link in our bio to become a member. It's like a sliding scale thing, like $5, 10 or $15 a month. And so in addition to the keychain, you also get access to a members-only segment on almost every episode. And so this episode is a little enticement, so, so you know what you're missing if you're not a member. We're going to include the member segment on the public um, version of the episode, so you can see the kind of thing that you miss out on every week if you don't become a member. Um, but check out the link to sign up, and thank you so much for all your support, and happy birthday to us. Hey! <laughs> all right, so what do you have next for us, Vero? The next song that I have for you all is called El Alma Que Te Trajo, and it's by recurring appearer on this show, Arca, mm -hmm. also with Safety Trance. Let's take a listen. Safety Trance. Arca. Arriba, abajo, y subo, y bajo, abajo, guatajo, quemajo. Regálame ese alma que te trajo, esto es un relajo Papi dame el pene, me lo abro con la garra Tú me dices guarra, a mí me sube y me desgarra Mientras tú me agarras, me pongo bien pana La plaga barata, hazle tu raja que yo sé que a ti te encanta Ya que sobran ganas, con ventaja Papi dame gozadera, soy una perra pero te yo hago Miau, 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 te dejo el pelucao Pau, pau, qué susto, qué relajo track so like what is it that makes this electronic music well so the way that i approached this was women electronic artists right and right. i would say that arca is not a reggaeton artist like right. she is an electronic artist who dabbles in a lot of places including maybe sometimes experimenting with reggaeton in a way that is sonically connected to her larger body of work which is like largely focused on electronic and digital production right so um maybe like like this song yeah you could say it's like electronic but it is like a reggaeton song and um but 
you know, like I, I I've been bringing Arca for a minute um, mm-hmm. around, and she used to make these really esoteric tracks that sometimes were, I would say, even exploring the boundaries between like what even was music, right? Like, and what mm-hmm. is just noise? Like, she has this song. <laughs> right on her self-titled album from 2017 called Whip, which I think does this really beautifully, which is just like like a bunch of like rhythmic, a rhythmic composition of like cracking whips, right? Um, <laughs> and um, now she's bringing like some of this like more distinctive sound, like because I've been engaging with her work for like 10 years now. I can hear like like the synth stab, the, the synths that she usually uses, like the sounds that she usually uses in productions being applied to like a more like club ready or like more approaching traditional like pop adjacent song. Right. So um so I think that it's more about who she is as an artist than this specific song, right? Um, and um, this song is with Safety Trance, who is like also like a producer um, known as Cardo Pusher in other capacity, who's a Venezuelan uh, producer who was actually a part of the music scene that both of them were a part of in Caracas when they were teenagers. So it's, oh, cool. it's a really um, sort of like a sweet little collaboration. Do you think that she would call herself an electronic artist? I would say so, yeah. I think okay. I would say that, like, I mean, so Arca came to my and many other people's attention for the first time through um, working with Kanye West on um, when mm. he put out his album Muses, which is, like, really experimental, really different, really, like, electronic album that like most of his fans really hated um and (laughs) he tapped arca for for this who was like uh sort of a fixture in like the new york city queer underground club scene um Mm. and um and so that's when like she came up and at that time she had these like songs that were like these like impenetrable tracks that were just like you know very heady and I would say difficult for most people to engage with but like I think through like all of her explorations it has really become I would say one of the foremost experimentalists of our time and she mm. in that sense like touches a lot of different things right touches a lot of different things and um has been playing more with pop sounds recently That's so interesting to know that history um are you somebody that enjoys dancing to electronic music no generally no i mean i sometimes like i guess it depends on what you mean by that like i it's not like if i'm like i want to go out dancing this is not Mm. what that's not what i'm talking about necessarily you know like i generally the electronic music that i most enjoy engaging with is often like experimental and heady and like uh headphones in bed experience Right. Not that this is that necessarily, but um, but you know, like I'm down to like have some like house on or whatever, and that can be dope. But it's not like my first point of engagement with dancing. Like where I think of um to go with dancing is something a lot um 
you know, more like reggaeton or hip hop right. or, you know, like. Yeah. yeah. So that like scene that you were talking about that she came from when um, she was tapped to be part of that album, would that have been like a club scene? Like where people are, are dancing? Yeah. Yeah. A weird I mean, question. <laughs> no. Yes, it was. So like one of the places that a lot of, that a lot of stuff happened where like Arca was, at was also at these like ghetto Gothic parties that like Venus X who's this Dominican DJ and sort of like tastemaker and, um, who like she put these on and um but yes yeah, so i i think that these uh these scenes like mixed a lot of different things in ways that made everything pretty interesting but arca also was doing it was like her own work was putting out all this other stuff and you know at the time that was also like before she transitioned transitioned right so mm-hmm. you know she's part of like our you know we welcome her into the women producers fold <laughs> Right. And not that right. she needs my welcome, but right. you know, right. you know, your question was like whether like I would have gone to that. Like I did go to um, to ghetto gothic a couple of times, but it wasn't right. like my main scene necessarily. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have a lot of context for interacting with electronic music, except I think in like parties or dance contexts, and I just I it doesn't get I just can't relate to that um I've always just felt like you need to be on drugs to enjoy it which I think is like <laughs> probably not fair you know while drugs I think are a part of that scene and I mean they're a part of every scene right like clubs right. everyone's on alcohol you know they're on drugs too but yeah I just like it hasn't been something that I've known how to connect with um yeah experientially so um so yeah I was, I was like sort of trying to understand how you've related to it um and I guess did we even say explicitly that part of the reason we're doing this episode right now is because you know March is Women's History Month and so thinking about we're always trying to emphasize you know women in the in music but particularly this month so that was sort of yeah. like the hook for this episode yeah and I mean I also think that we're one of the cool things about this moment right now is that like I feel like I mean not that this doesn't happen today because there's lots of turfs but like there isn't I feel like we're in a moment where it feels so obvious to include trans women in women's history month you know and Mm. that hasn't always been true um I I was very um my heart was warmed by seeing Arca and Safety Trans doing this together because they were part of this like same like teenage scene and to see like a cis man being like, yeah, let's, let's collaborate, you know, like after like somebody transitioning is just like something I don't think that we would have seen before. Right. This moment, not that it never happened, but like, right. It's sweet to see that now. And, you know, like Arca is much more critically and commercially successful. So it's not like there's nothing to be gained there by, um, by safety trans, but, you know, I do know that there's like a genuine admiration and collaboration and long-term friendship situation happening mm-hmm. here that like feels really possible now in a way that felt a lot less possible, even like something like 10 years ago. Yeah. It's so interesting, right? Because then like on the one hand, there's been so much advancement for trans people socially and culturally and in representation and media. And then now we're sort of witnessing maybe because of like the wins on abortion, like on you know, removing like ending row and whatever we're witnessing such an intensity in terms of like the right wing, um, 
kind of tirade against trans people, right? And some yeah. like really archaic sounding laws being passed like in Tennessee that feel like it's the 50s again, where if you wear more than like three items of the other gender's clothing, you'll get put in jail, you know? Um, oh, yeah. And I like wonder how you make sense of that, like, I don't know. Yeah, how you make sense of that kind of contradiction. I'm just like, I mean, to maybe me, it's in it's response very, to it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's definitely in response. I think visibility right. is a double-edged sword. Visibility is hard because people, a lot of times visibility is really dangerous. You right. know, they like take, making yourself your more away. visible mm-hmm. than makes you more vulnerable to people who have always hated you, right? And I think that we're in a moment where like wide acceptance is being met with really deep backlash and that happens with all movements for change right i mean it's happening right now with like the movement for black lives and Mm -hmm. like the ways that like people talk about um you know like the crime wave that's like largely made up but is like a response to like needing police you know and and to like response to the call for defunding the police right i think it's like a very you know like you see like the response to like black power movements in the sixties and seventies with like the eighties and the nineties and like uh, Reagan and the war on drugs and welfare reform, you know? So it's like a very, like it's a pendulum, right. That goes back and forth. And I think that in particular for like trans feminine people, it is, uh, it is a really intense double-edged sword to visibility. Yeah, and because our country is so states' rights-focused, like, yeah, the experience of someone in Tennessee, you know, in terms of, like, the laws that are being passed. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's not clear to me how, like, they'll be enforced and how much is it, like, a way to try to, like, build favor with their base versus something they actually care to pursue in a real manner. You know, these, like, drag bands and stuff that just seem, like, absurd. Yeah, Um, it's a really scary precedent, though. Yeah, it is. It is really scary. Enforcement, it's really, really scary. And as always, those kinds of laws will always be disproportionately applied to communities of color, to Black people in particular, to immigrants. Um, You know, it's always like disproportionately applied in the, the way that like the state uses laws to maintain a certain status quo, where it's always the same people on top and the same people on the bottom. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <sighs> heavy. It's heavy. But Radio Mene is a much nicer space. and Because we have more artists to be able to focus on, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more diversity. And yeah, I mean, in some ways, Latin America is like moving forward and the United States is moving backwards, you know? If you look at yeah. political landscapes around yeah, abortion rights ways. and queerness and stuff, yeah. So... In many ways, one thing that is really dope about um, that I noticed around a lot of the these women doing electronic music is that they're engaging with political matters that are um, really dope and like really um, anti-imperial and anti-colonial and um, gender expansive. And, um, you know, like. ARCA has long had, like, gender and queerness be, like, at the center of their work. And that is, like, one thing that I see uh, among a lot of these artists is that their their experimental approach to music doesn't stop there. It's, like, an experimental approach to viewing the world where you're just, like, you can blow anything up, right? Like, let's talk about, you know, time. Let's talk about you know 
in oak arenas and the way that indigenous people use those. Let's talk about, you know, the Mayan calendar. And like, those are all things that are like engaged in interesting ways by these women. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Tell us about, why don't you introduce the next song that you've got for us? The next song that I have for you all sounds really, really different. All of these sound so different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it sort of makes a little bit of that point that Bettis was making. It's was like, what is electronic music? And it's like a lot of things. It's many things, you know. Um, and this is an artist that I really like. It's um, Ella Minus along with DJ Python. It's called Pajaros en Verano. has like a um seems more melodic to me than the other ones we've listened to which i really like actually yeah yeah so this is um i brought this because of ella minas who uh was born gabriela jimeno in colombia and um she's a producer and vocalist she's the person who sings on this um and just makes these like really relentlessly beautiful compositions i would say um and she is actually not like just a composer and producer but she's actually worked on building since so she has this really deep understanding of her instrument and i i love i just love her work it's so like relentlessly bright i saw her perform once and this was before the pandemic she had um this like her synth setup is like multi-level it's like multi-level synth setup and she has a sticker on it or like duct tape that she wrote bright music for dark times on mm-hmm. and so like she has this like sort of like relentlessly cheery bright like beautiful like little compositions that are like and I just call them little because she calls them like also like tiny dance it's just like they have this <laughs> sort of like a twee sort of um quality to them that is I think accentuated by her vocals that are almost childlike as well um but I, I just really love it. I I'll always find her work so beautiful. Um, and this track is from a three-track EP with DJ Python. And it, the the EP is like just like an emoji heart, the title of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I was reading a review of this EP on Resident Advisor, I'm going to name some fucking names. 
I read something that's just like such a typical sort of um, thing that happens to women producers, which is that the review identified Ella Minus as a Colombian vocalist and like was written as though DJ Python, who is a man, did all of the production. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what? And I got all tight. Like I like Mm -hmm. was so mad because this happens so much. And you know, like if you're familiar with Ella Minus, which I am like, she's not a singer. You feel me? Like she makes it work, but like my girl is like a producer. She's like a maker of electronic sound. Right. So I was like, let me look at this credit before this production credit, before I get all wound up, like in case I'm wrong, you know, like it is possible that somebody is like, Hey girl, come sing on my track. But, like, that's not primarily what she does. And, of course, I looked at the production credits and her name was on it. So it's, like, yeah, like, this is exactly what I'm talking about with, like, the erasure that women have to deal with in the music industry around production and that women have been talking about for, like, literally decades. Like, Bjork was, like, take pictures of me next to the production equipment so that people at least can see me next to this thing so that it doesn't get written out, right? It's, like... right a level of erasure that keeps happening over and over again where people just can't believe that music, electronic music could be produced by women. And this is wild because resident advisor is like a good, like I, you know, like respect them. I respect that um, platform, but like, it's just such a telling mistake, you know, like to assume that the woman and identify the woman that is on this track as a vocalist when she's actually like, a co-producer of this and she's primarily a electronic music artist who like sings on top of her songs sings yeah on top i mean of it her sh- yeah it shows like how sexism interprets like what we think men and women should do in music right that the woman is like on the, in the front she's like the beautiful creature who's like singing along to the music that's made by men or something like that right like that there there's this very gendered idea old idea that kind of still influences people yeah and it's like it's just particularly wild when it comes to ella minus because she's like literally like an engineer or something like she was like building these machines that like men poke at and make sounds with you know what i mean like (laughs) (laughs) like it's just like so it's so Mm -hmm. insulting and like it it's probably like it's probably like just a mistake but it's like a telling mistake you feel me like it's like a implicit bias right happens yeah. over and over again that's based on like yeah like a larger story that we tell about who makes music and who sings it and who really is in charge of uh, the creation of electronic sound yeah you you pointed me to an article that we can link in the show notes from 2018 about like the women latin american women in electro- electronic music and that author um says that like the role of women in music you know, was seen as like, they're mostly the interpreters, right? So they're not, mm-hmm. they're not the makers. I feel like Lizzo talks about this a lot, actually, as like a woman who is like a singer, a songwriter, a musician, like she does it all, a rapper, like that people try to pigeonhole her into one thing or another. And she's like, no, I do all of these things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's other like women musicians who are singers, but also are involved in production. Like, you know, it's a little bit of a chicken or an egg thing, right? Because, like, sometimes the beats come first, but sometimes maybe 
the song comes first or the lyrics comes first or you know it's not always like the same path to to creation so the way that there's like a hierarchy of of who's what role is is seen in what way is interesting too right right and it's not also to take away from singers either right like singing is like such an extraordinary like art and such and like a, a really deeply cultivated craft for a lot of people right but mm-hmm. sometimes it's seen as less prestigious than like you know like the creation of the music that is behind the singer right so um mm-hmm. this is also not to suggest that like singing is somehow inferior just because it's coded feminine right like even though like lots of men obviously sing right but, um right but so it's not to suggest that but it's but it is telling that like you know like i love ella minus and i even like the way her voice sounds she's not a singer you know <laughs> like she right. sounds like a child and i think that that's on purpose but like you know i that's not what she's here to do so right. it's it's just like very typical and very like it fits very neatly within like the larger narrative that people have about women's place in music yeah, I mean, the singer is literally their instrument is their is their body. You know? Their mm-hmm. instrument is their vocal cords. You can't just swap it out for a better instrument. You know, like you have to yeah. be. There's an innate ability that comes with it, and there's like this maintenance that's required to keep your instrument well and stuff. So, yeah, I do think it's absolutely minimized because yeah, women's work gets minimized. So I was thinking mm-hmm. about this too as you're talking about these. I don't like the, the the question of like what do we call these things like. Are they tracks? Are they songs? Are they pieces of music? Like even the labels that we use, like I wonder, yeah, with electronic music, like you start to get some questions around like what what it is that we, how do we refer to these pieces? Yeah. I mean, generally a song has vocals to it, right? Right. And like when you think of a song, like you think about like, at least I think about like the popular Western like song structure, right? Where there's like maybe like, you know, like a verse, a hook, a chorus, you know, like, and that's like, that's like the pop, like a popular song structure, right? At least mm-hmm. in the last few hundred years or right. 100 years, 200 years, something like that. Um, but um, whereas like a something that is just music that is like a, ele- just like an electronically produced piece of music that doesn't have a vocal is a track it's not a song because it doesn't have that sort of structure when you start adding vocals to tracks then like is it a song is it a track is it somewhere in between you know like especially mm-hmm. if it doesn't like if it doesn't conform to that like pop song structure of verse hook chorus verse you know it um it starts to get a little muddy that's interesting do you know much about like the 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 origins of electronic music because I can imagine that when these technologies were invented, when these like tools like synths and stuff became first became in usage, that there were people who were like, this isn't music, you know? Like, yeah, this is, yeah, absolutely. This is noise I or mean, whatever, right? <clears throat> the reason that um, the first time that the people in, at least in this country, in the United States, engaged with electronic music on a, like a level that they could understand and that was for the masses was because of Wendy Carlos, who is the trans woman who was in charge of engineering the, I'm going to say most popular brand of synthesizers that exists, which is Moog. Mm -hmm. Um, She engineered and like 
she's like a mother of electronic sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and before the before, so what she did was that she put out these albums called Switched on Bach, where she played synthesizer Bach concertos. And mm-hmm. so it was a way for people to engage with music that they already knew that sounded a completely different way. And so Switched on Bach was a real turning point in the way that the people of the United States were able to engage with digital sound and, you know, like the beginning of accepting it as like something that um, was music. Before that, it was something that was like very academic and like it was like professors and like people in like rooms with computers that were like the size of like, you know, the entire room, you know, because Mm. computers were so large back then and like you know the process of digitizing sound the process of of you know making synthesizers that were for people outside of academia women were involved in all of that right right yeah that's so interesting to like I've only learned that history from you from like learning about this on the show and learning about her um it makes me yeah yeah of like the debate about auto-tuning, you know, it's like, is auto-tuning singing? Like all of these sort of, you know, fundamental existential debates as technology evolves and like these ideas of what is, what something is get really upended by, you know, people who are really pushing the boundaries and, and um, turning these things on their head. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to, to me, like I'm uninterested in gatekeeping music. I think that like anybody who can make a sound that other people enjoy should be doing that you know what i mean (laughs) and but like you know people are committed to their things (laughs) yeah you're definitely not a gatekeeper (laughs) you're like very like like, does somebody like like that it's a big tent do it (laughs) yeah it's a big tent (laughs) yeah amazing amazing i really like this one which i did not expect to happen on this episode so amazing i love surprises (laughs) yeah i love the lightness of it i love the the like whimsical nature and I think because it's more melodic, like I am somebody who I yeah. think is less avant-garde in that way. Like I struggle more to relate to sounds that don't, yeah, I think don't follow a certain pattern that is what I'm like more used to. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. all right, well, what's next? All right, let's go back into more difficult territory. <laughs> I figured, I figured. <laughs> we weren't going to stay there very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the this one isn't as... Um, avant-garde i would say is the next one but we'll see we'll see what you think this one is called flores del mal and it's uh, uruguayan artist lila tirando violeta with dengue dengue dengue
yeah, so Lila Tiranda Violeta, as I said, is a Uruguayan electronic artist and experimentalist. Um, this song features also Peruvian uh, duo Dengue Dengue Dengue, who I'm positive I've brought before. Um, but this song is from her album Desire Path, which came out last year. She has a newer EP out now. Um, but I interviewed her last year when this came out, and um, I think like one of the things I really liked about this is a lot of the nature sounds that are in it. Mm-hmm. There's like all this like gushing water and chirping birds, but also it sounds like industrial and sort of goth, and then like at some point in the middle, like this sort of more dembo beat comes on. Like, and by dembo, I don't mean Dominican dembo. I mean like the dembo reggaeton beat um Mm -hmm. but um i it's super super interesting and i like this album also because she describes it as like her coming out of a darkness and Mm -hmm. i think you can really hear that darkness and the lushness there it's like this um tug and pull that's happening between this like really dark um, thing that she's coming out of and um, into like a more lush uh, beautiful uh, sound and um, when I interviewed her last year she you know she was telling me about how she's a person who's chronically ill and had had some really bad health scares and long bouts of time in the hospital and the album of hers that came out before this called Limerencia um really contended with her chronic illness if y'all are interested in hearing that but like she talked to me about the ways that like the sounds in the hospital were a really big like maybe like not like inspirational like because it was a very difficult time in her life but like a really great lesson and she told me that she Mm. like sampled really extensively from the field recordings that she took while she was hospitalized wow so um she just like has this like really um i think interesting and um very her own approach to music and sound and she's like you know sort of like a shy like loner um and uh and i think that her music really is very internal in that way and it reflects that wow that's so interesting about the hospital and connection to chronic illness it's like yeah yeah right there are soundscapes everywhere right like um and i'm sure there's probably people who've thought about like the soundscape of a hospital and its connection or disconnection from like wellness you know mm-hmm. like all of those beeps and all those things and like just like people have studied like what is it how the impact it has to have like um, nature or like plants or even pictures of plants for example have been shown to have a benefit to people in hospital oh, wow. settings so you could imagine if anybody's paying attention to this, I don't actually know. This is just a guess that somebody out there is like, maybe if we, the hospital room sounded better, you know, like was more soothing or <laughs> yeah. more pleasing or something anyway. So, but yeah, it's really inter- cool that she's like borrowing from all these places that one doesn't think about when they think about music. Yeah. Yeah. For this album in particular, she did a lot of research on ocarinas, which I think is so cool. Um, And when she released this album, there was like also like a limited release of like 3D printed ocarinas. (laughs) And um, 
the, but like she played a lot um, on this album with the ways that like an ocarina can sound like birds or like water. And um, she is from Uruguay, but she collaborates a lot. Like she sort of like came up through Nafi, which is the Mexican label where a lot of like, we're going to talk about somebody else on Nafi um, in the member segment. But um but so I think that like she was ta- telling me about how like ocarinas were a really big part of like Mesoamerican musical soundscapes. And like there are, you know, we don't know very much about what that music sounded like because we don't have access to, you know, <laughs> recordings um, of it. But um, but there were a lot there are a lot of ocarinas that were found in like on archaeological digs and like in that record and so Mm. i think that she was really inspired um by those and by the sound and like how like an ocarina might sound like a bird or it might sound sound like water or like you know like different constructions of these of of ocarinas have like these wildly different sounds that like mimic the sounds of nature and um you know might sound like the stream outside of her apartment that she sampled for this too and that makes a lot of sense if you think about like, yeah, people before technology, like where did sound, what sounds were you exposed to? It was nature. Like, yeah. That was, most, that was all the sound that you heard. And yeah. we now in this like weird industrialized society are surrounded by, even like in our homes, there's like a constant buzz, right? That's like, we don't even hear anymore. That is like yeah. air yeah, conditioning. machines and, that are like keeping yeah. us, yeah, like yeah. the fridge, the printer beeping and yeah. you know, all that stuff, yeah. I've been joking that there's something that happens at like, I don't know if it's like 38 where all of a sudden everybody's interested in birding and like bird watching. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this in your f- friend group. At all. You haven't talked to me about bird watching, but I feel like I'm like with people and they're like, oh, there goes a blue tailed hawk. And I'm like, when did everyone all of a sudden know what all the birds are? <laughs> you know, I feel um, like there was like a, maybe this is also age related, but there is like a pandemic yeah an interest in birds because people were just like what do they have their window like (laughs) yeah yeah so but yeah it's like of course early instruments sounded like nature like why of course it would you know like that makes so much sense yeah Um, that you would seek to recreate those sounds right and now we have music that sounds like a you know inspired by a hospital soundscape yeah like yeah what a interesting dystopia we live in you know what a time to be alive i know i know well, speaking of Mesoamerican soundscapes, uh, this next artist made an album called The Long Count that was based on the Mesoamerican Long Count calendar and the ways that Mayan wind instruments and Mayan conceptions of time, just like engaging with all that. This song is called First Day and it's by Debit. Thank you. 
So yeah, so you're, I don't know, you know, like you, we just listened to this and I think knowing that this is about like sort of conceptions of time and engaging in, um, you know, Mesoamerican instrumentation, I, I feel like I can hear all of that. Mm. Um, this uh, so this is an album by Mexican American artist Delia Beatriz, known as Debit. Um, and uh, she went to to create the music. She went to UNAM's archive of Mayan wind instruments, um, and she says she used this like machine learning to develop digital instrumentation based on this source material. Now, I don't know exactly what the fuck that means. Like machine learning is still a really new concept to me, but. I can hear the textures of wind instruments and this like super minimalist soundscape that we just played for y'all. And um, I don't know, this is just like this like really meditative, almost gloomy ambient sound that feels really different from the sort of kitschy new age ambient where like indigenous soundscapes can be forced into sometimes that like you know Mm -hmm. like maybe what you might hear like at a massage parlor or something Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. so I, I feel like this is a different and creative engagement of um indigenous music traditions specifically Mayan music traditions here insofar as they can be engaged given the evidence that's available to us without recorded sound that's accessible to us. And I I think that's like a really interesting um, and dope project. And it's a way to like think about both like indigenous conceptions of time, because so much of music is about time, right. Mm -hmm. And how you engage with time. And like this track sort of forces you to be so slow in a way that, um, that, music is able to make you do based on its pace right um so i i really i really appreciate that even though it's not maybe necessarily something that i would like oh let's cook dinner and put this on you know like maybe for some moods but it's you know it's like more of like a heady engagement that i feel like i have with it and it's uh, like an intellectually interesting project to me yeah do you think that if you didn't know the inspiration behind it you would be able to engage with it in the same way um I probably wouldn't engage with it in the same way no but to me I always like I always want to know like sort of what's behind art Mm -hmm. right like and it might be like this sounds cool and I think that's enough right like I don't think that art needs to be anything more than beautiful to somebody right like that I think that that's fine but um I it really does impact my experience of art to know like how people that created it thought about it. Um, yeah. So, but it's interesting because uh, you often don't listen to lyrics, so it's like you're somebody who, which you know, isn't always the inspiration, but it is a part of like, to me, like the story of a song. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But is that yeah, because you're someone yeah. who's more drawn to production than you are to? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think it's a couple of things. I think is that I'm really drawn to sound, and I also think it's like an audio processing thing. You know, like I'm a mm. person who like who's watching TV and has like the subtitles on because like, mm. you know, like it, people who know me well, like you know this about me that I'll be like, what? You know, <laughs> like it's just <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you'll say something to me and like maybe I even heard it, but it just takes me a little bit longer to right. like hear it hear it you know like 
Um, so I think part of, or like, you know, like if somebody has a British accent on TV, like, I don't know what the fuck they're saying, bro. You know, <laughs> like, I do not right. know what you're saying. Right. So, um, I think it just might be just like really how I access sound. Yeah. I mean, that might, the British but, thing might be a, but lyrics, but lyrics also like lyrics also do impact how I listen to music, but it's just not the first thing that I go to. And yeah. I think yeah. that in like there are songs that I might engage with that I, you know, like I've been listening to 20 years. It's like, holy shit, I know that said, I didn't know that said that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, yeah. but there's some songs that like maybe I wouldn't listen to, but I listen to the lyrics and I'm like, oh wait, like this is really dope and I, I like it, you know? So right. it's not that it doesn't affect it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And when, you know, I'm definitely somebody who, yeah, likes to understand the story behind it, especially when it comes to something that's like this, that's more difficult for me to engage with. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. That really helps me to, like, I think about being in a museum and looking at, like, modern art, particularly, like, more abstract things. Um, Yeah. Or, like, even um, modern dance. Like, it's, I, I struggle sometimes to connect unless I can understand, like, the story that's being told. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. You mm-hmm. don't, there doesn't have to be a story. It could just be yeah. interesting or beautiful or whatever, right? Like, that isn't always there. But, um, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, like, grasping for something to sort of connect with, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this album came out last year. This is called The Long Count. I think it got, like, some amount of critical acclaim. So if this is, like something that's of interest to you i think that it's really like intellectually dope um and it's sonically very interesting also definitely i think worth worth a listen if this is something that that you um that grabs you cool all right so you have one more song for our members and um if you're hearing this and you're not a member, it's because we're we're kind of bringing back, the, pulling back the curtain so that you can understand what it is that you would be getting if you were a member. You would be getting an extra segment on every episode, just like this one. So um, we wanted to give you a little teaser of what you miss out on in case that helps encourage you to consider becoming a member this month in honor of our seventh birthday. Yeah, so uh, the last artist that we're going to talk about in this member segment is... Um, an Argentine DJ and producer who is actually based in Mexico, Nafi Alam. Um, her name is Tayana, and this song is called Corazón Lleno de Mil Vacíos. Thank you. 
I love that this is like sort of like an ambient electronic gumbia situation. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, this is an Argentine DJ and producer, Tayana. She, um, I got to know um, this artist because of Nafi, again, the Mexican um, label. And I, she has a, a big body of work, but I think most recently, was tapped by Rosalia to produce a track on Motomami. Mm. So she was the only female producer on the whole album. And, um, you know, there's very few women producers that are, like, making it big in commercial Latin American pop. Mm. Um, and... Um, and so, you know, like, shout out Rosalia for that, man, for tapping, <laughs> for tapping her for, for um, a song on Motomami. Um, I think that's really, uh, really dope. And that's where I feel like, so somebody like Diana, who makes her own electronic tracks and puts out a lot of her own music, also was tapped to, like, build out a beat for somebody else's song, right? So, like... The line between like somebody who produces music for somebody else's song versus somebody who like might make electronic tracks for standalone consumption, they're often the same people, right? Um, mm. And there's a lot of producers who do that, right? Because it's their opportunity to create on their own, right? Or to, you know, like right. be fully in charge of their creative process. Whereas like working with another artist um, is more of a collaboration, which is just a different style of work yeah that makes sense i like this because the cumbia beat is something that i can like connect with you know it's like mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a something that i i i understand can yeah yeah and i mean the thing the thing about some of these tracks especially like the, the slower ones that i really appreciate is like some of the these like more ambient tracks that make you wait to like halfway through a five minute track to like get to the beat is just like an exercise in patience right mm-hmm. and an exercise in like in waiting for a slow build and i think that there's something that i really love about that there's something that is um yeah, it's very both like intellectually and sonically and like sort of like on a body level, very interesting to me since I'm a person who like generally works so fast and wants everything so fast. And I love fast music, but I think that music that has this relationship to time that is slow um, is able to slow me down in a way that few other things are. So I really appreciate that. And I wonder how that relates to the title. Corazón lleno de mil vacíos. It's very dramatic. Right. Because vacíos is like empties, emptiness. How would you yeah. Like yeah. That? Yeah. So it's like a heart full of a million empty empties. I don't know. There's not as in translate yeah, very well. word for like un vacío like that? Like, like, like a, a black hole, you know? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like an empty space, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. A heart full of empty spaces. So anyway, yeah, like to think about the, the connection between the title and like the, yeah, that sort of waiting and the slowness and the, yeah. And then the album artwork is like her in a sweatshirt with her cat. Yeah. I'm slow that. about that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
Well, that's very cool. So are all these artists people that you were just already following? I noticed that like it's all for music from like this year and last year. So it's like really new stuff. Um, so most of these artists are people who I've been following for some amount of time in one capacity mm-hmm. or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first song is the, they're the artists that are the newest to me. Okay. But it's like, it's such a lot. I feel like, um, in some ways I love watching the way that is that some of these artists grow and, um, I do like I do engage with artists that I have, you know, like haven't heard before or haven't, um, you know, like don't know their story necessarily all the time. But um, but I often am able to find a lot more meaning, especially in music like this, when I like know a little bit more about the musical trajectory of the artist, and like I'm just like able to like add more to the story, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, a lot of these folks I've been following for a minute, um, but are consistently putting out new material. That's great. Thank you yeah. for taking on this us on this um, electronic music journey, including me. It was definitely a journey. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's just, you know, like, it's so important to highlight women who are doing this because they're systematically erased from um, both the history of electronic music and, like, the current ways that it's talked about and created. And, you know, like, there's so many more platforms for um, women doing electronic music now, both, like, in a more of, like, a pop way, you know, like, I would say, like, even somebody like Mula, you know, like Rachel mm-hmm. Rojas, um, who does like all the production for Mula, um, you know, could fit into this as like a, you know, like one of the women producers. And they're definitely more like working with like traditional song structures and um, more of like a pop aesthetic, um, you know, and and then there's like people like Arca who like sometimes are just like, is this music? Is this weird noise? Like, find out on my next album, you know, <laughs> like, so I think it's just like such a wide, expansive set of people to look into that this is just a tiny, a tiny little um, sampling of some of the people that I think are really pushing the edges of what music can be and what electronic music um can do both as a storytelling right. um medium as well as like a, a way to experience sound yeah it's really interesting well thanks y'all for listening as always all the information about these um tracks i won't say songs <laughs> i'll say tracks <laughs> are available on in the show notes at rallymanea.com and we are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We have a newsletter where we have a lot of cute things for you um, to read and that we're into. So sign up for that if you're interested. And you just heard a little sample of a member segment. There, you know, sometimes this, sometimes a couple of songs, sometimes something else. So this is just one little sample of that so if you are interested in getting another little segment every at the end of every one of your episodes sign up to become a member and if you do so in march we'll send you a perreo keychain thanks to maite for editing and we will see you next week hasta la próxima
Hasta la próxima. Bye.